0: let's pray together almighty and most merciful father we are grateful grateful for another day to come in your name to bear witness to your goodness and to give thanks lord thanks for what you've done in the person of jesus and his life death and resurrection lord today as we hear the word that you've given us may it be seeds in our heart to bear fruit in our lives Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For thousands of years, people have told various forms of stories about the fountain of youth. More than 400 years before Christ, the Greek historian Herodotus told the story of a spring that restored health and youth in a far off land, Ethiopia. And the idea of the fountain of youth, the source of life, can be found all over. Uh, Tuck Everlasting was a favorite book of mine as a kid, and it's based on a similar premise. At a deep human level, we want to find life. We want to find something which can sustain us, something stronger than death. It's written into our hearts that we are created for something everlasting, an echo of a voice that we can't quite make out A hunger for something that we can't quite satisfy. And it's into that deep hunger and longing that Jesus speaks to us this morning. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which our ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Now, John chapter 6 is all about bread. First, we have the feeding of the thousands, and then Jesus launches into more of his I am statements. I am the bread of life, he tells them. People are coming to him because they are hungry for normal bread, but he He wants to give them something more, bread that truly satisfies, which feeds the whole of who they are, spiritual, physical, relational food. And this is a passage jam-packed with arrows pointing toward what God has done in the people in the past and what he is doing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what he will do in the end. And until then, when we find ourselves in our part of the story, Jesus offers us something for our hunger, his own life. Now, in the West, we care a lot about what we eat, uh, the things that we put into our bodies. In large part, we care about it because we know that it's one of the ways that we can stay healthy. It may not be the fountain of youth, but maybe, just maybe, it might help us stretch our lives out a little bit longer or live out a little less suffering. Or even if it doesn't stretch our lines out a little longer, maybe it will make us look younger in our Instagram photos while we're here. The old adage rings true, you are what you eat. A fancy restaurant in the United States feeds uh, chickens paprika and red peppers so that their yolks turn bright red. The whole point of course being to show that we are connected to our food and the food chain. We know that our bodies are built, constituted by the fruit of the land that many work, though few of us probably grow our own food. In creation, God forms Adam out of the fertile soil, Adamah, Adam from Adamah. And Adam lives from the ongoing nourishment of that soil that he cultivates and cares for. We, humans, build our flesh, our bodies, out of the things that we put in them. It's that simple. But the gospel text invites us to ask, what really sustains us? What makes us whole? What are we made of? When the Israelites were coming through the desert in Exodus, they were hungry They were venturing out of the home that they knew slavery, though it was, into a great and dangerous unknown. And it was in that context that the Lord sends manna from heaven, bread from the sky, strange enough looking that the Israelites asked, what is it? Which is literally what manna means. And the manna was what kept them alive. It sustained them. But it was about more than that. Manna taught them to rely on God, to gather double on Friday and keep Sabbath the next day. The manna was sustaining them, but God was after more than that. He was after their hearts and their bodies. And you see this written through the whole story of Israel. He was after all parts of them. And all throughout the law, you see this, the, the Lord using physical things to communicate his grace to the people, to form them into a people to be sustained bodily and spiritually by his own word. Man does not live on bread alone after all. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven, he is bringing us into the desert where the people hungered and thirst. And he is saying that he is the fullness and completion of that bread. Bread that was here today and gone tomorrow. But the bread he offers us, his own flesh, is not one that dissipates or disappears. But by faith will sustain us to the end. Now, I imagine that hearing this gospel passage or this section of John 6, when you've heard it before, makes you squirm a little bit certainly makes me squirm a little bit because jesus jesus sure is graphic here this is about more than bread after all it is about his flesh and his blood about eating flesh and drinking blood i didn't make this stuff up i'm just preaching it whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You are what you eat. The English here often softens that language, actually. The word that we translate feed is trogo, which literally means to crunch or to gnaw on. The picture is like grinding up almonds or chips in your teeth. And so Jesus is saying here, whoever gnaws on my flesh has eternal life. How's that for an image? And this is shocking and strange, especially for Jews. This is the most unkosher thing imaginable. It was a hard teaching, a hard teaching, which is why the text continues. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now this, this talk of flesh and blood is supposed to shake us up. God is after more than our souls. He wants our bodies, which is why he came in flesh to dwell among us. Bodies which he will raise up on the last day if they're abound and incorporated into his body. And our bodies are what we eat. John's gospel is the only one that does not tell the story of the Last Supper, the institution of communion. We get foot washing instead. As the final gospel written, it had the privilege of having the last word, if you will, telling the story in a way that frames and accents the other biblical accounts of Jesus' life. And in many ways, the gospel of John assumes that we already know Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this passage from John 6 really functions like a spiritual commentary on the Last Supper scene. From those other gospels. And John wants us to know at least two things in particular about sharing in his body and blood. One, that he is the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb whose blood marks the protection of the people. And this ultimately becomes clear when Jesus dies in John's gospel at the same time as the lambs are being offered in the temple. And in large part, the graphic language here used in the passage foreshadows the sacrificial offering of his body through which we are forgiven and two that this bread and wine we share are through faith a tangible means of grace by which we by which he incorporates us makes us part of himself so that all can abide in him and he in us and the bread and wine are real tangible encounters with God. Now, one of the things that I love about this congregation in Boston is our diversity. We have people from a very wide range of church communities and backgrounds. In fact, I think there's only a handful of us that actually grew up Anglicans. Pete is one of the only ones. We are part of a distinct body here in Boston, but we represent a large group of people who call Jesus Lord. And in case you didn't know this, Christians have disagreed on how to read this passage before. But there are a few things which all, if not the vast majority of traditions, agree on. First, that when our family of faith gathers around this bread and wine, the Eucharist, something sacred is happening. Something sacred is happening. And two, that faith in Christ is essential for this activity to take root in our bodies and in our hearts. But for many, including Calvin, Luther, Wesley, and Catholics, and every Christian writer from the close of the New Testament up until the 1500s, there was something more, a true encounter spiritually and physically with Jesus in the elements. Now, there are so many ways that Christians describe that spiritual mystery. And by the way, that's literally what sacrament means. It means a mystery. But from Calvin to Rome, they all say that when you come forward and receive the bread and wine in faith, Jesus is there to meet you, to reach out and feed you the life that you are so desperately seeking. When Jesus gives us himself. He gives all of himself. He does not leave anything behind in the garden. He doesn't hold anything back when he lays down his life at the cross. He surrendered all of himself to be broken and resurrected for our sake, according to the Father's will. And in turn, Jesus invites us to come and eat to share in his life but he wants all of us this isn't just something that we do with our spirit or in our head he wants all of us our heart our body our spirit not just our minds not just a little piece of time we carve out to worship him each day or week he wants it all And we are so good at segregating our life into different dimensions of who we are, our spiritual life and our physical life. But it's like trying to divide height from width or length from depth. We are spiritual, physical, relational beings. The psychologist, Susan Pinker, researched what lifespan, what lifestyle behaviors best predict long life. This is well worth Googling, by the way, you should look her up, Susan Pinker. And it's, incre- it's incredibly surprising. The two strongest predictors of a long life, okay? And we're talking about smoking and eating behaviors, all these sorts of things. The two strongest predictors, okay, are social integration and strong close relationships. Those are the two strongest indicators of how long somebody gonna live. And uh, much stronger than diet and exercise or smoking even. And I was talking to my brother about this and how shocked I was. I was just totally shocked that this, this was the case. And he said, well, Brandon, like, that just means love. That the strongest predictor of somebody's longevity is love. And he's completely right. The strongest predictor of our physical health, our physical life, is how well we love others and are loved by them. Just let that sink in for a second. And the fact that this is surprising to us shows us just how deeply we have been formed to think about physical and spiritual or intellectual parts of our life as completely sealed off against each other, but they're not. The Lord asks us to abide in him, to abide in his love, to have our bodies sustained by his body. To abide, to live in him and he in us. And he asks us in turn to turn to him when we are hungry, to become that which we are sustained by his body. So that the many of us who share in the one bread are indeed one body. Now, I know that this seems particularly odd or perhaps a bit abstract or hard to get your hands around, but that's kind of the point. Jesus wants to give us something, something that we can put our hands on and around. He wants to offer us a tangible, feelable way to be fed by him with all of who we are. And not in some elaborate thing, but in bread and wine the stuff of life everyday life and let me tell you again what it has meant to me to start to think of it this way uh, a few weeks ago i told my story about uh, my own struggle through a terrible time of doubt doubt like cold dark water that seemed to hold me in its undertow and when i was fighting so hard to hold on to my faith fighting to know the presence or will of god it was in that time that a friend brought me to this strange little church near a university that I was going to, full of a bunch of old people, right? No music, eight o'clock service. It was an Anglican church and it was the highest liturgical church that you could go to. And as a evangelical kid from rural New Hampshire, it was strange beyond belief. It had a liturgy much more formal than anyone that I had gone to. But my favorite part, my favorite part, is I started going back to this church each week, was coming forward for communion. And I, I came forward broken as I was, and I got to receive Jesus, to encounter him and to be fed by him. And, you know, when those chicken eggs, they start to turn red, you have to feed them paprika and, uh, and red pepper is more than once more than a couple of times and you could say the same for me it was not overnight I, I found that I was encountering Jesus in this meal week after week and it helped me to abide in him and to carry me out of this chaotic sea I wanted Jesus I wanted life and life abundant and that's what I found in the strangest of places among this faithful little church of gray hairs. I found Christ waiting for me. And you can search the whole world over for the fountain of youth and be disappointed. Or you can come to this humble table that the Lord has set for us of bread and wine and find there the thing you most deeply hunger for. It is also one of those things that we have been bereft of during coronavirus. Obviously, we've been having in-person services now for a while, but many of us have been isolated from one another and especially from the sacrament. And I believe that this has had huge effects on all of our mental, emotional, spiritual health. Being separated from the body as in the body of Christ, our friends, our family, the people we love, and being separated from the tangible tokens of grace and love which Christ gave the church for the strengthening of his people. And we've done everything we've done at the church um, in order to protect people and to love our neighbors. But it is also something that I want to encourage us to find a way to do. as as things start to open up, as we start to be vaccinated, come back to the physical presence of Christ's body altogether and take Christ's body from the altar. Don't let this Zoom life become normative for us because we are losing something when we do. Now, before, uh, before Dave Friedrich left from his interim interim role, Uh, he did something that I I thought was wonderful. He instituted the prayer for spiritual communion. Um, And it's one that we'll pray in just a moment. But that prayer of spiritual communion is saying, Lord, we're missing something. This is something we grieve that we can't come forward for your sacrament. And even as we pray that you be united to, to us and us to you, that Lord, we look forward to the day when one day we can hold that tangible expression again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are um, we are your people. Lord, you care about all of us, and you have worked um, you have worked grace in our lives through bread and wine. Lord Jesus, we ask that you continue to make possible pathways for us to regather, and Lord, that in regathering that we might behold you and hold you in the Eucharist. Pray this in Jesus' name.